Commencing countdown. Three, two, one. This is the Contracting Experience. Connecting government contracting professionals to the world around them through conversations with acquisition influencers, insights into evolving hot topics, and sharing lessons learned from the field. This episode features our continued conversation with Major General Cameron Holt, with a focus on questions from the Air Force contracting workforce. General Holt candidly addresses questions on retention of the workforce, con IT, and information technology instability, contracting officer authorities, use of the government purchase card, and bringing Air Force business professionals up to the level of industry in utilizing software. I hope you enjoy General Holt's direct and honest approach to addressing issues that impact the contracting workforce every day. We are back with General Holt to address questions from the field. What are some retention initiatives Air Force Contracting is looking at to not only retain newly trained contract negotiators, but also more experienced PCOs and supervisors? There is no doubt about it. Uh, Air Force Contracting is getting competitive again. And we're getting competitive again rapidly for our talent. That little story I told you about my conversation with the vice chief, I showed him, as one of the examples, I showed him a chart. And it showed the number of GS-14 and 15 equivalents in Air Force contracting as a percentage of our total workforce compared to every other federal agency and other military service. And I showed him we were dead last. And then I showed him information on that same chart about our education level. And we were first by a long margin. Mm -hmm. And so the truth is we have the most capable workforce in contracting out there. And we're the lowest paid. As part of mission-focused business leadership in line of effort one, we're going to be doing a review and assessment across Air Force contracting uh, in terms of the grade structures to make sure that we have it right. Now, we're going to be very cautious about that because I'm not going to just ask taxpayers to pay more money uh, when that is not uh, required. Mm -hmm. But we are going to get competitive again. And as I sit here right now talking to you, uh, we don't even have the ink dry on the flight plan yet. And we have already successfully upgraded over 300 positions across Air Force contracting and we have in excess of 600 additional uh, positions pending upgrade with the Air Force Personnel Center right now. So we are getting great support from the A1 community to get mm -hmm. after this. Uh, and of course, the vice chief is behind us um, as well. And so we are, we are getting after that in a real way. Now, it's not just about compensation. It's also about two other things, well, a few other things. One is respecting our people enough to tell them why. And I know I've talked a lot about this because it's meaningful to me. But as I go out around Air Force contracting, I am sharing with them a classified briefing before I even share with them what we're doing in mission-focused business leadership. I'm sharing with them a classified briefing that I had uh, generated just for Air Force contracting. And we opened up our first ever Air Force Contracting Board of Directors with this classified threat briefing in December of 18. Uh, and that's what set the tone for mission-focused business leadership. That's what set the tone for the flight plan. 
But I think as senior leaders, we need to take a step back and not just tell our people what to do, but tell them why. And so far, I've found it to be very powerful to explain the why before we get to the what. As far as the how, I know for a fact our people will show us the how if they understand the why and the what. So it's also about investing in our people's training. You mentioned that critical layer of folks uh, from PCOs and on all the way up to senior contracting officials. Right now, I recognize that when you're an unlimited warrant holder in Air Force contracting, which I believe is our weapon school patch equivalent, that's when you're a real ninja in contracting, mm -hmm. in the government contracting bit. But what we have ignored, I think, for too long is building in business acumen into our contracting workforce at that level. And so from the time that somebody is an unlimited warrant holder to the time that they're a senior contracting official with a billion dollars worth of decision-making authority for the Air Force in business transactions, what training do we offer them? What skills do we provide to them? The fact of the matter is not much. And I think we've convinced our, our, our workforce, you know, unintentionally, uh, that when you're level three certified and an unlimited warrant holder, that you've learned all that there is to know. And frankly, I think that is uh, not true. So I'm going to unapologetically ask the Air Force to invest in continuing to build the capabilities of our business leaders beyond that point. Once somebody has proven to me they can pass that unlimited warrant board and they have the business acumen on the government contracting side, I am going to unapologetically ask the Air Force to start investing in them to build their understanding of corporate finance, of Wall Street, of CFO decision-making, CEO decision-making, financial analysis, balance sheets, cash flows, return on capital employed, things that they had not been exposed to previously. Now, make no mistake as I say this, our first love has to be Air Force contracting. We have to know the government contracting rules first. But beyond that, I think that we need to build in our folks some serious business acumen. Uh, as we go up the chain to a senior contracting official, this is a colonel or colonel equivalent or an SES or general officer level with a billion dollars worth of decision-making authority for our Air Force as a business leader. I'm going to ask the Air Force to invest once again in that level. And what, I, what we're looking for right now is an executive education program where we can send uh, our senior people to intensive training uh, in preparation to be a CFO or a CEO of a major corporation. Um, and so what am I doing? I'm putting our folks on par with that level of leadership in corporate America and asking them to uh, learn that glossary of terms so that we are cooperating with industry and not just competing with them. We will always hold industry accountable. We have to do that uh, for the taxpayers. Uh, but I have found that it's an accident if we understand really what those CFOs and CEOs and Wall Street, what they care about and what incentivizes them. And frankly, we need to do better than that. We need to understand that equation better so that we can align the incentives between fly, fight, win and what a CFO or a CEO of a major corporation may, uh, may understand as their marching orders for, uh, for their shareholders. So I think that, that those things are important. Having said all of that, 
I actually want people uh, to understand uh, something real clearly. I am not interested in retention for retention's sake. I really want to build a workforce of folks who want to serve, who want to make a difference. Uh, if people are in it for the compensation alone, then I would argue they really should not stay with us in Air Force contracting. They should go off into industry because there's much greater um, opportunity out there for that on the high end. Um, I am going to work their compensation because I think that's the right thing to do. I am going to get more competitive as Air Force contracting because I think that's the right thing to do. We're going to invest in training. Yes, we are. But truthfully, if I lose folks out of the Air Force who just don't see that sense of service or don't see that the mission of the Air Force is really why they come to work uh, every day, then that's okay with me. It really is. Because I want to build a team that that part of it matters. They want to serve and they want to win. Mm -hmm. I want folks that'll come alongside me and say, yep, it's about my kids too. Let's get after it. That's the folks that I want to retain. So we will put a full court press, press on in every respect. Um, but again, retention, uh, not for retention's sake. So last month you came out um, with your third fireside chat, um, and that was on um, the some of the latency with Con IT. Um, so what are some actions being taken to alleviate the Con IT instability? Yeah, so thanks for the question. I'm, and I'm obviously getting that question as I go around the Air Force, and I'm getting ready to put out a new fireside chat to update everybody in that way as well. Uh, as I said in the fireside chat, I did have a uh, sit down with uh, the folks in Fort Collins, Colorado on 8 January. Before I get to any of the details, let me just say this. I know for an absolute fact that this is draining our will to live. I get it. I do. I have seen it myself. I've tried to log in myself. Um, as I said in the fireside chat, it was completely unusable when I saw it, and that caused me great alarm on behalf of our folks. I will tell you, since that I sent that fireside chat out there, uh, there has been a, an extraordinary response from all um, parties involved. Uh, when I, what I saw when I sat down with the team out there at Fort Collins was there was 22 individuals sitting in the room and another 10 on the phone. They were people from uh, the U.S. Department of Agriculture uh, coding team. They were uh, people there from Appian, uh, very, very skilled, um, high-priced engineers that were there from Appian at no cost to the government. There were people from the program office, starting with uh, the SES um, PEO himself, Rich Aldrich, was in the room, uh, and his team was in the room and on the phone. Our a uh, SAF AQCI team were there uh, and, and engaged. And so what I would tell everybody is there is an appropriate level of attention being paid to this. Uh, however, I am not satisfied that we are through the woods yet. Between the time that, we, that I did that fireside chat and the meeting at Fort Collins, there was a lot of effort. There were nine patches in that period of time, um, all driven towards uh, trying to improve that latency issue. Some of them did improve the latency issue. Some of them did not. Since I've left Fort Collins and come back here, there have been an additional two patches that have been released um, in that endeavor. And another couple of things have taken place as well. One of the biggest differences 
that I think is ahead for us is that the coding team is now actually going to go to operational contracting squadrons and sit with the squadron as they actually try to use the system. Uh, when they saw the coding in, in, or the system performance in their laboratory environment, it was not indicative of what it was looking like on the other end. And so what we're doing is we're chopping out the middleman and we're sending the contractors right to the source. Uh, that is already yielding um, some benefits. Mm -hmm. So the 460th uh, contracting flight, uh, thank you very much. I threw them under the bus at Buckley and they are um, uh, really helping by allowing uh, the developers into their spaces every day to, to get after this. Uh, it's, that's also happening at AFDW. Um, while we speak. And so I think that's a big piece of it. Another piece of it is the help desk function. Um, I think we built that help desk function with some really great people, but I don't think that we anticipated the level of technical problems that we would have. And so I've asked Mr. Aldrich, in fact, I think he brought it up to begin with, to go look hard at that help desk function and see if we can retool it for the, the fight ahead to make sure that, we're, that we, we've got that function right. Another couple of issues that we saw that I think are the, some of the root causes of why we're experiencing what, we, what we're experiencing. So we knew we were taking risk when we started this. And what we were taking risk on was we took a DISA solution, um, the IDEAS program, which they're actively using. It's their contract writing system today, and they have no problem with it or very little problem with it. We took that lock, stock, and barrel, and that became 80% of our solution. What we then focused on was the additional 20% of capability that we were gonna build into ideas to make it con IT for the Air Force. Mm -hmm. Unfortunately, there was some risk in just accepting the reused code. And so, as, as an Air Force contracting professional with a vast amounts more data that's in that system than, than uh, DISA uses, uh, and the vast numbers, higher numbers of people that could be using the system, the data inquiries, the database code uh, was not filtering. And so, in other words, it was looking for every data stack out there at the same time just to find one user's information. When you use that at DISA, that's no problem. When you use it in an Air Force application, that becomes a real issue. So what I gotta be honest with people about is, I think there are more what I call gift draft presents in that 80% ahead for us. And, I, and, and we're gonna retool ourselves to be able to handle those as they come up. Uh, there were a number of other problems that we saw. Um, all of those are getting worked. But one that I thought was pretty interesting was that the team had built, the developers had built a test environment to test each patch and each release before it goes out. And the point of this proxy test was to overstress the system beyond any uh, chance of an actual use case uh, to see how, it, how that patch fares. And as it, as it turns out, when the real Air Force contracting workforce uses the system together, it actually outstresses their proxy stress test. Mm. So they had to actually create a new test. Uh, and their computer, computerized stress test was actually hitting enter all at the same time across the entire uh, network, which you would think would work. 
but they were quite shocked to learn that when Air Force contracting folks get after it, it's actually more stressful than that on the system. So they have learned some lessons and they're getting after the fixes really fast. I would, I would ask people for a couple things. One is I would ask people as they come up with these challenges, not only to ping the help desk, but also to use that SharePoint tool that we have set up in ConIT. Um, our SAF AQCI team is, is uh, looking at every single one of those inputs, whether it be for longer term usability or whether it be short term problems. Mm-hmm. So please pay attention to that in addition to the help desk. You would be very proud of our AQCI team. What they opened that meeting up with in Fort Collins was a briefing from AQCI on what it's like to live as an Air Force contracting professional with the current con IT. And they did not pull any punches. In fact, to their credit, they even had some of the Facebook messages that are out there from our <laughs> contracting folks with uh, creative little uh, ugly sweater contests with a picture uh, pointing up to the person's face that says, Con IT made this ginger snap. <laughs> Um, and other, other such things. But it was important to me that the developers understand uh, the angst that's out there, with the humor as well. But I told them, I said, you don't want con IT to become a four-letter word. Right. And they understand that fully, and they are committed to fixing it. What I would ask for our workforce to do, though, is please, let's all get on the same side of the negotiating table with the problems on the other side, and let's get through this. Why? Because I will tell you, even though we are doing this on the cheap, where we're part of the solution for actually fixing the system as it breaks, the opportunity that lies ahead in Tools Not Rules with ConIT as the backbone of that is incredible. ConIT, the way it's created with the Appian baseline, offers us a building block approach where in the future we'll be able to add capability relatively fast if we can get through this together. So I'm asking people, please stay positive. Yep, the sense of humor works with me. It's fine, I get it. But uh, we all need to stay on the same page and get through this together. So another question that came in from the field on Air Force IT systems. Um, So what is being done to address the slow and inefficient Air Force IT systems to include email and internet? Although the management of these systems do not fall under your purview, they directly impact the everyday performance of your workforce which inhibits its ability to be agile and deflates office morale and efficiency? Yeah, it's a great question. And I can't tell you how happy I am that it doesn't fall under my purview. All kidding aside, um, I would say that there are a lot of very smart people who understand this very clearly. There is a, a, a new effort that's going on called Enterprise IT as a Service. General Gunny Schmidt out there at Hanscom Air Force Base has taken the lead uh, as the PEO for this. And we are learning a lot of lessons from the Navy doing this before we did it. But essentially what we're doing is we're going to contract out the whole thing. Uh, We are going to stop looking at this one base at a time, one comm squadron at a time. Uh, Each network at every base is constructed much differently and some of those networks are, are horribly inefficient and others are more efficient. There's uh, a very limited ability, in my understanding, to uh, do root cause analysis between is it an application problem or a network problem. Mm-hmm. And that causes an endless cycle of finger pointing that doesn't benefit anybody. 
And then we have hanging out there in the background um, a real serious challenge with cybersecurity risks. And I will tell you, I was one of those uh, once upon a time that used to make jokes in the hallways about, well, we don't have to worry about the Chinese shutting us down. We're shutting ourselves down because we're worried about them shutting us down. But I will tell you, quite honestly, I understand that threat a lot more now than I did then. And I also understand um, that that threat is very personal to Air Force contracting in particular. If you don't think that you're a target in contracting for cybersecurity, you're wrong about that. I can't get into the details of it, but I will tell you, if you think that the contracts that we write are not interesting to our adversaries uh, from an intelligence value perspective, you would be wrong about that. So we do have to be sober about the cybersecurity side of it. But this enterprise IT as a service approach, I think is going to be a good one over time. When the Navy uh, did that initially and contracted out all their IT, so imagine the Air Force not buying computers anymore, not buying networks anymore, but buying the whole thing in a performance-based manner. That's what we're after. When the Navy did this initially, it was a horrible setback for them. Uh, and they learned an awful lot of le lessons from it. And so we are uh, cooperating with, or Gunny's folks are cooperating with the Navy and, and really understanding the lessons that they went through so that we can maybe uh, take a better crack at this. One uh, real kudos I got to give to General Schmidt and his team out there at Hanscom, which includes our own contracting folks. It was uh, April, May of last year, and this idea of Enterprise IT as a Service was really born out of Air Force Space Command in the uh, Intel shop there. And very rapidly, it went from uh, a PowerPoint chart to uh, General Schmidt's team. And from April and May uh, to the end of the fiscal year in FY18, they now have an awarded, past tense, an awarded other transaction um, agreement uh, to start getting after enterprise IT as a service. The other key development just happened recently is that Air Force A6 has taken on the role as the permanent um, IT category manager for the Air Force. And that's really important because that will fully integrate that role uh, in with the, the IT governance structure, the enterpri enterprise IT governance structure that A6 and the CIO already run. So I see the wagons coming together. I see mm -hmm. solutions on the horizon. But with any new approach to a problem, there's going to be challenges. But a side benefit of this is a great number of our comm troops will be able to be repurposed to cybersecurity, both offense and defense, uh, instead of worrying about the, uh, the, uh, the business aspects of what we do in, in uh, IT. So um, I'm with the, the field on this. Right. It's, uh, it's very painful. Go, go find the workarounds that you can find. But uh, I think in the longer term, help is on the way. So the TINA threshold has been raised from 750000 to $2 is there any plan to change the clearance thresholds or policy or legal review requirements to be proportional with this change? Yeah, so I, to be honest, I really think this is the wrong question. And I'll explain what I mean. So in my opinion, uh, pushing authority down and moving faster with judgments made at lower levels in Air Force contracting, I don't think it's a choice. I really don't think it's a choice at all. I think we have to do it. Um, and that's and th and that's really uh, why it's so 
uh, central to what I'm leading in, in mission-focused business leadership. But I don't think it has anything to do with the Truth and Negotiations Act. I was, when I heard your question, I was actually uh, interested. I, I didn't even know that. I didn't know that the, that the uh, CO clearance threshold was somehow a percentage of the Truth and Negotiations Act. Well, it's not necessarily. It was just, that was just an example that um, the person who posed the question said that. Yeah, that, I, I get it. Yeah. I do. I get it. But that person who posed the question act, is trying to give me information that would cause me to think, well, well, sure, it's out of date. We, we need to update it with mm-hmm. the Truth in Negotiations Act. I don't see that the, that the authority level has anything to do with that. Mm-hmm. In fact, why would we stop there? Why would we not increase the authority to, be, to eclipse the Truth in Negotiations Act? So you see my point. Mm-hmm. Now, um, so I will tell you, the big question in my mind is not whether we'll increase the authorities at lower levels. We have to do that. I just don't think that's in question. Mm-hmm. In fact, at my level, we already have done that. Uh, and I'll explain that in a second. The bigger question uh, for me really is, are our young people ready for the responsibility that comes with that authority? Because it's not just about going fast. Yes, it, yes going fast is a byproduct of that. Mm-hmm. But we really need to still make high quality business decisions at every level of the Air Force. And so I wonder sometimes when I get asked these kinds of questions, do people understand not just the authority I'm giving them, but the full weight of the responsibility that that carries for them to actually go be an expert? And actually, if they have a question in their mind about the decision they're about to make to go get help. And as, and as a business leader, go find advisors of your own um, to make sure that you're making the right business decision. Right. I'm wondering if we can't get together as Air Force contracting professionals across geographic lines, across organizational lines to advise each other again, to have conversations about good contracting practice and what the best business choices are, not just to get to, through the latest peer review or the latest decision maker, because that, I promise you, is about to be gone. The question is, are we making the right judgment call for the mission, because that's why we exist, uh, and for the taxpayer as well? And that's, that's the bigger question in my mind. I will tell you, though, I'm committed to leading from the front. Um, I have already delegated my own authority down. I've increased uh, each of the senior contracting officials' authority level to a billion dollars, non-competitive as well as competitive. I've asked them to operate as entrepreneurs in their own right. I have flattened the contractual flow of authority and taken two layers out. We haven't made the change to the AFARs yet, but what you will see is all of that part one, um, what I call gobbledygook about there's HCA and then SCO and SICOs and then SICO-like authority and then directors of contracting who are not SICO-like. I can't explain it. I can't explain it to anybody who asks me. And you need a PhD to even understand what authority you have. We're taking that out and we are reducing it. And so now what you have is me as the single HCA with most of my HCA functions delegated, Mm -hmm. almost all of them. Uh, And then the senior contracting official portfolios, I think there's 27 of them with a billion dollars of authority each. And then there's COCOs below that. If, if you promise not to tell anybody, I'll t- share with you a little secret. Sure, I won't tell anybody. <laughs> Since I got to AQC uh, in June, I haven't taken a single clearance briefing myself. 
So what does that mean? Does that mean I've not seen anything above a billion dollars come in? No. What it means is I've even delegated the ones that are above a billion so far. Now, I'm not promising I'll do that in every circumstance. Mm -hmm. But truthfully, I think that the value that I bring and that, and that the AQC um, staff brings is actually removing barriers from the field's ability to execute. And truthfully, I have not found yet the business deal that I can add value to that we don't already have senior SESs and colonels that are quite capable of making these decisions themselves. Can they make mistakes? Sure. Um, should they ask for advice if they need it or help with perspective of what the, is happening in the building? Great, I hope they do. I want them to make the best decisions that they can. But I think if we have decision makers that are not capable, fully capable of making those decisions, I think we've got a bigger problem. Frankly, I'm going to lead by example in pushing that authority down. And I fully expect our directors to follow suit with that as well below their level. Um, I'm not asking them to do that without any kind of critical thinking. And so they may, um, on a case-by-case -case basis, as I am doing above a billion dollars, they may delegate uh, their authorities in that way. But I am asking them to speed the boat up, and I'm asking them to trust uh, the younger workforce in making bigger decisions than we've ever asked them to before. And as I ask them to do that, I'm also being very clear-eyed with them and our leaders in, Air Force, in the Air Force. And what I've told them is there's going to be rainy days. There are going to be days when we allow folks to make decisions that they're not ready to make yet. And there's going to be big mistakes that are made in some cases. And, and I'm telling you, I am committed to just taking the blame myself and letting them move on. Uh, and in any case where it's not uh, to bring credit to themselves personally, there's no ethical problem and no arrogance problem because mm -hmm. those I wouldn't have any patience for. But if it's truly trying to push the envelope for the mission and finding new ways of doing business and we make a mistake in that process, uh, I'm fully prepared to take that on myself. I've told the vice chief of staff this in his office. I actually heard the secretary uh, stand behind this herself as well. What she told us was, I'm the one who has to testify to Congress. She says, I'm ready to take on uh, that responsibility, but we've got to find ways to go faster. And so I'm just really blessed to have leaders like that, but I'm fully prepared to take that on myself, and I'm asking our directors to take it upon themselves. Even while I ask the workforce to uh, improve their own ability to make better business judgments and make them quick, um, and let's move this boat much faster. So anyway, that's the way I, I, I see the, the, uh, the delegation issue. So during your answer, you had said um, peer reviews would, would be gone. So can you expand on that at all? I don't know that peer reviews will be completely gone, but when I increase the authority of the senior contracting officials to a billion dollars, there all of a sudden became a mismatch in the DFARS peer review threshold. Mm -hmm. And so the peer review threshold was at 500 million. And... I have uh, studied this issue carefully, and I just informed my leadership that I'm about to do a class deviation from the DFARS to increase that threshold to, of peer review to a billion dollars. Okay. And so that will line up the, uh, the dollar values. I've also asked the Office of the Secretary of Defense and the DPC folks um, to reconsider a policy memo that was signed out in June of 18 that requires teams to come up to OSD level 
before they do a firm fixed price contract instead of a, a fixed price incentive contract, even before the RFP is released. Mm -hmm. In my experience, we can switch contract type even in negotiations, and there's no problem with doing that. So I don't see that that adds a lot of value. So I'm, I'm, I'm looking for opportunities to, to remove barriers, to remove rocks from the rucksack. And so as people um, in the field need that kind of support, I, I hope they'll let me know, um, and then we'll go after that. But I, I'm so proud of our policy team, I can't even tell you. They are every day looking for those opportunities uh, to, to make it easier for our contracting folks. There seems to be an interest in increasing the use of the government purchase card. And when we spoke earlier, you mentioned Dr. Roper stopped you in the hallway to talk about the possibility of doing a contract in a day. How do you see the use of government purchase card being expanded in the future? He said, can we do, can we pay somebody in a day? Can we do a contract in a day and pay them right then? And I, my answer to him was, sure, you, we can do that. And he was floored by my, by my, uh, how, how fast I answered that question. And so the team went back and, and, and uh, came up with a methodology that is now the core of what will become Air Force Pitch Day here in March. Uh, and the Secretary of the Air Force actually put this in her AFA speech, and she's very excited about it as well. I didn't know she was going to do that. But I was in the room when she gave that speech, and I was grinning from ear to ear. And when she, when she said that Air Force contracting is about to do a one-page contract and pay in a day, there was a audible gasp in the, in the ballroom, a, a positive gasp. But the fact of the matter is we can do anything. Uh, and so will we comply with all of the rules? Absolutely we will. Uh, but what you're going to see there in March is going to be a very interesting use of a government purchase card uh, that, that gets us around the barriers to entry into the defense market uh, and, and, uh, and makes for much better cash flow for a startup. But imagine like a shark tank atmosphere where the best minds out there that may be non-traditional industry players are responding to their ideas mm -hmm. for their companies to uh, get after some of the problems we see. And you imagine uh, the evaluators uh, giving the results to the Air Force contracting officer seated at the table there, and then that Air Force contracting officer swiping a GPC card and having them sign a single page contract. That's what's about to happen in March. Yep, that's awesome. We created that process, again, uh, not just for a cool kids demonstration. Mm -hmm. uh, that process right now is connected to Sibbers in the pitch day. But you can now disconnect that process from a Sibbers one and reconnect it to commercial solutions opening, for example, and use 3400 money against it. So... We're going we're gonna to build out that way of using the GPC card and then get that tool set back to the main body of our workforce. So that becomes another tool in our toolkit to help commanders uh, access the most innovative minds out there. So that's another one I'm excited about. Mm -hmm. We also have a pilot. A lot of people know about this, but some people don't. With the GPC card and Amazon business. Amazon business started out with, uh, with us in this pilot with six bases. I think we're up to 15 bases now uh, where they have built a, an Amazon platform uniquely for the GPC card and for the Air Force. Uh, and there's some fantastic things coming out of that. And the data that we're getting off of that on the back end is really 
unparalleled for us to plow that back into category management and enterprise sourcing type of business intelligence in a way that we haven't been able to do that before in GPC card spend. It's not so important that we use Amazon business, I I should say that. There is some statutory authority that allows us to go to some commercial providers of e-commerce solutions, but truthfully, if GSA Advantage wants to come alongside us or Mm -hmm. Walmart or anybody else, I'm open to all of that. The key is we have to start getting after this and using the GPC card to its fullest potential. Even as we do that, we're starting another initiative with the GPC card and, the, and, and getting it right with that pilot first called the Air Force First Looked Vendor Program. And this is about reversing the trend that has happened over my whole career where electronic contracting has improved our response time in contracting and primarily through the GPC card. But the unintended consequence happened around our bases to our small businesses that support us every day. And they give us, you know, discounts at Po folks when we go by. But you know, when I was a squadron commander in Columbus, Mississippi, I asked the downtown folks, what's it like to do business with us? Mm -hmm. And they were very polite. And they said, we love you guys. We give you discounts, but frankly, we don't know how to do business with you. We can't get on base anymore after 9-11. And then I looked back at our GPC card program, and sure enough, for whatever reason, all these GPC transactions, they go to Palo Alto, California. I don't know why. I got to get out to Palo Alto at some point to find out why it all comes from there. But it was bypassing those, what we used to use, those local vendor lists Mm -hmm. that we would get competition off of for purchase orders. Well, we're about to reverse that trend and reverse it big. We are about to bring economic impact back to our bases, back to small business participation. And so this first look vendor program, imagine when we're, they're still working the details of it, but imagine if you're going through an Amazon business environment or an e-commerce solution and you see a blue ribbon for a small business and a red ribbon for a large business, that's an Air Force first look vendor, meaning they're outside of some gate, they're in a zip right. code that's outside of some gate somewhere. So you could be at Tinker Air Force Base doing a GPC card transaction. And if all things are equal and it's completely consistent with all of the regs that we have, go to a first look vendor. You may have just bought something from somebody outside of Columbus Air Force Base. But I believe that all across the Air Force, we're going to see an increase in small business participation as a result. We're already gotten huge increases in small business revenues as a result of our approach to category management that fully incorporates small business into it. Mm -hmm. In fact, the only time I've been asked to explain to Congress what we're doing there is when a large business was concerned Mm -hmm. that we're setting too much aside for small business. So I I am uh, really excited to use the GPC card in different ways, uh, looking at how do we get it to contracting officers for their use, um, and then again, to drive rapid cash flows uh, to, to encourage a whole new group of industry players to do business with us. Uh, so the last question uh, from the field that we have today is uh, the level of business apps and software utilized by industry is above and beyond what the Air Force uses. What is being done to bring Air Force business professionals up to the level of industry in terms of utilization of software? Yeah, so that's a good question too. We've, we have, I think... Um, I don't want to say ignored it, but 
the the tools that we have made available to our business leaders in the past in the Air Force has has not been good. It, we have not compared favorably to spending another hundred million dollars on an F thirty five, right? When ironically, if our business leaders have the best tools out there, it could impact not just the F-35, but every program we have, mm -hmm. uh, both at the base and in the weapon systems business. But I will also tell you that there are there is some reason for some hope on the horizon. I mentioned earlier the enterprise IT as a service approach. It'll be interesting to see how that unfolds. But my hope is that it will, it will unfold in the way that the commercial industry is set up to begin with. And so a lot of those things that um, the, the person who asked this question saw in private industry will be the same kind of backbones that we use for our business systems uh, for us. I'll also tell you that I look at applications much differently than most of the folks in the Air Force do. I've heard concerns, and I think the A6 has concerns about the proliferation of app applications. Um, I think one meeting I was listening in and, and somebody said with alarm, do you know there's over 2,000 different applications out there across the Air Force? Now, I understand the reason for that concern because somebody's spending money against all 2,000 of those. And so is that money well spent? I don't know the answer to that. But in terms of the capability that we provide to our workforce, I'm wondering if 2,000 is enough. You know, I look at Apple Computer, and they, they control the standard. Uh, they control the tool whereby anybody can build an application for an iPad. So they don't spend, all, they don't spend a nickel on building any of those apps. They just make sure that it complies with the technical requirements of their hardware and with their cybersecurity policies and all that. I wonder, why couldn't we take a similar approach uh, where maybe 2,000 applications isn't nearly enough for the United States Air Force's operations? Maybe we need 10,000. I don't know what the answer is. But I would like to think differently about that. If I bring this back to Air Force contracting and our mission-focused business, um, business leadership flight plan, in line of effort two, tools, not rules, we're actually going to be taking an intentional look at this to say, what are all the tools that are available to our contracting workforce today? How can we uh, make available all the ones that make sense to everybody? And then develop for ourselves a roadmap of how we can um, move to the right combination of utility. In, in other words, the number of applications and software that we have available for folks. Mm -hmm. uh, and cybersecurity risk and also value. And I think we can meet all of those things and provide better capabilities to our folks. The example I'll end with uh, is a stark reminder of this. And it's a great story. And I tell it to everybody in the federal government when I talk about uh, the Air Force's innovation of category management, the way the private sector uh, implemented it. We had to find a way to do business intelligence much more rapidly for us to be able to convince the Air Force to implement category management when, uh, when I was at FICA. And so we had this mountain of spend chart where we actually had on the chart, we have to find a way to accelerate our ability to find the gold veins in that mountain. Because it was $114 billion over a five-year period of time, you can't, you can't evaluate all of that at once. There's just not enough people to do it. And this young staff sergeant, Staff Sergeant Justin Keeney, 
Uh, he used to be a network administrator, but he decided to serve his country. He joined the Air Force. In our, in our infinite wisdom, we put him in contracting. He didn't love contracting, but he learned it. Uh, and by the time he came to AFICA, he was doing contracting. And when we found out his skill set, we were like, okay, you're not doing contracting anymore. And what we asked Justin to do is, hey, go buy any kind of COTS licenses or COTS solutions that you can find or want and see if you can't co-cobble together a better business intelligence capability than the one we have. And I will tell you, in one week's time, that kid was working till two in the morning every night. He loved it. (laughs) And he came back with the draft version of what is now the Air Force Business Intelligence Tool. And... $80,000 later and nine months later, we have the most capable business intelligence tool across the Department of Defense, uh, period. Uh, And we're coming up with new uses for it every day, both Mm -hmm. in peacetime and wartime contracting. Uh, And so there's an example of where um, we are not, we are only limited by our imagination, but that tool's not rules team. I want to be an intentional approach to bring all those good ideas out of the woodwork and get them in front of folks who can actually put money and time against them so that we can get the best tools out to our folks possible. Well, I want to thank you for being on the podcast today. I'm really excited for the workforce to hear this conversation. So thank you for your time, sir. Absolutely. I love, uh, I love us. I love Air Force contracting. I, I love what we do. I love what we do for the mission. And I'm really convinced that we're headed the right direction and that we can be a game changer for Fly, Fight, Win uh, in this uh, coming era of great power competition. So thank you very much. If you have suggestions for topics or people to interview or feedback on the podcast, you can submit those at thecontractingexperience at gmail.com. I want to thank you all for listening to the Contracting Experience podcast. Until next time, keep connecting to the world around you.